Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to From the Stands, the Cool Picks Show. I'm, of course, your host, Ryan Colpitz, and I am uh, pleased to announce that today we are going to have the voice of the Blue Jays, uh, Mr. Ben Wagner, join us uh, in the show. Just before we get Ben on, just want to do a shout out to our uh, creative team at Mad Creative and Matthew DeCastro for all of their hard work on all the images you see for the show every week. So let's get Ben and we'll get things rolling. There he is. Hello, Ben. How are you? Hey, we're good. How are you? Good, man. How's uh, how's the weather down in Dunedin? Uh, you actually picked the right day to ask me about the weather, where other people can uh, rub it in my face a little bit, because usually the weather has been tremendous. In between 20 and 30 degrees over about the last three weeks with plenty of sunshine. Uh, the last 24 hours, we've had really cruddy weather. It's been overcast. It's been um, rainy. It's been really windy and kind of like, I don't know, just not really. It's very much like the, the, the climate right now of the world, right? We're all kind of down in the dumps and feeling pretty gray. But, uh, you know, it, it's good. It's still Florida and we're good. Good. I know it's. Uh, I was out doing some baseball videos for for work today, and uh, it was really really hot. I was just like, man, like I'm glad I'm not one to complain about the heat, but because yeah. uh, I I don't like the winter all that much. But I was like, man, this is a hot spell out of everything we've had recently, and it's certainly a crazy time for sure. Hey, it's summer, right? It should feel like baseball. You should get a lather, you know, if you run a a sprint here or there. All you have to do is just take your TV outside, hook it up in your backyard, and then watch the games on TV, and you'll you'll get that sweat going like yeah. you're at the dome. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, thank you for joining us today. Um, we're really excited to have you. Um, how have things been overall for you without the the baseball that we normally see right now? Um, I'm like, well, first and foremost, I'm a fan of the game. I love the game. I want to see the game wire to wire all day long. So there's a massive void in my life, um, and my body is telling me that there's this massive void because usually this time of year, I'm running around at 100 miles an hour, and uh, you, you know every moment that you can grab a, a couple extra hours of sleep is really important, especially like travel days and off days and things of that nature. Um, and my body's like, why are you operating at like a zero right now? So it, you know things feel really weird. Um, and then there's a massive void, you know, there's a massive void in the process and doing things that you love to do and interacting with the players, interacting with my colleagues and, you know, having a beer after the game, you know, like all these things that you really enjoy about what you do day in and day out. And this is, I mean, you have to love it to work in any sport, in my opinion, um, you know, where you're providing really entertainment <laughs> for three or four hours a day it's definitely enjoyable with what we do and there's a massive void when it's not there. And so I'm really feeling the void and it's been a roller coaster. First couple of weeks I was good because you understand the severity of it. You understand where you are as a society and the, the means that need to be taken. But after a while in the last couple of weeks for me have been the most difficult because you get into this sense of timing, right? Yeah. to play enough games where it wouldn't matter to have a, a postseason, a playoff, a championship being crowned where you want the body of games to reflect the amount of intensity 
you know, that goes into a regular season, whether or not it's 162, 115, 80 games, 50 games, whatever, you want to have a bulk of those games. And now I think we're, we're nearing that window where people that work in baseball and the passionate fans of baseball are looking at the calendar being like, all right, guys, it's time to figure it out, you know, on a, on a civic scale and on a health scale. And just we, we know what's happening, you know, between the ownership and the Players Association right now. So uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a mess. I'm a twisted mess of emotions when it comes to talking about what baseball is and what baseball is now in my life without it. I know. I, I kind of I feel you to a degree. Obviously, not anywhere to where you're at because you're constantly traveling and, like you said, you're you're hanging out with colleagues and you're doing left, right, and center, and you're you're covering sports for four hours a day. But with me, I play in two different men's leagues, so I'm usually playing seventy to eighty games of ball myself. And to go from that to nothing, I feel you. It's like, what are we going to do? And, like, what is going to happen this summer? Are we even going to see baseball? Hopefully, yes. As you pointed out, the uh, the Players Association and everything that's happening there, it's like, okay, like, let's get going, guys. Like, we're already in June. Let's try and set something up. Hopefully, the with the NBA kind of locking in dates today, Maybe MLB will kind of say, okay, NBA's doing it. Like, let's get the ball rolling and hopefully have an answer in the next couple of weeks. You know, I think there are a lot of different layers that Major League Baseball has that other sports aren't really battling right now. Um, yep. but, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I really think Major League Baseball will happen in some capacity. Um, you know, I think it'll be more than 50 games. I don't know that it'll be over 100 games, but I really think that once we get into the month of July, you're going to see competitive baseball being played. Good. Well, hopefully that is the case. Um, but until then, let's talk about some positive news. You and you being on the show. Um, <laughs> you, you got into baseball um, like really early in your career. Back in 97, you worked on WAWCFM covering Indiana where you grew up. Um, what was your decision to get into broadcasting? That is a long-winded answer, I guess. Um, honestly, it was one opportunity at a really young age and being able to work behind the scenes at a radio station that was passionate about covering local sports. And in 1997, when I was given my first opportunity, I mean, I was a high school kid that kind of had a, a local sports anchor and sportscaster take me under his wing, and I'm forever indebted to Jason Samuels for doing that. And he... Let me cut my teeth. He showed me the ropes, one, on what to do when you're at the venue to cover a broadcast. And we were covering high school football, high school basketball. Um, we did a handful of baseball games. We did a ton of network shows and a lot of local programming. So um, not only was I at gymnasiums and fields and that kind of thing doing it, but I also got a ton of experience working behind the scenes where I was on the board and I was running the phones and I was lining up coaches and players for interviews or synopsis of, of games or previews, all, all this stuff. And ultimately, it was the buildup to the broadcast that we were conducting on that Friday or Saturday, whatever the day was, right? So I fell in love with the process first and foremost. And then um, sports was obviously a big passion of mine. I wasn't really sure, though, baseball would be the number one driver behind me at that point. I knew I wanted to be in sports, but I didn't know if I wanted TV. I didn't know if I wanted radio. I didn't know if I wanted to go into to covering team sports like 
I eventually did. I didn't know if I wanted to be in local radio. Um, so I had a lot of questions and, and honestly things to figure out at that time. But honestly, really, the reason that I'm here is because of opportunity. And I think everybody that's in broadcasting or journalism ends up where they're at is because somebody took the time and invested at least a little faith in them at a young age to get them where, where they are. And that's exactly where I got. Now, you got more of an opportunity in broadcasting, uh, kind of fast forward a few years in 2004, when you got to then be um, the broadcaster for the Class A Lakewood Blue Claws. What was it like to kind of see your hard work and dedication over the past, uh, I'm awful with math here, like seven years, uh, and see yourself go and work, start working it for a professional baseball team? You know, the, the, the gap in between my WAWC time through Indiana State is a product to even get me an opportunity for professional baseball. Um, people forget how important those four beyond years, uh, depending on how you approach university and college, university yep. and college and, uh, in the States, right? Uh, a, a lot of trial and error at university. And I was really fortunate in college too, because the men's basketball team was outstanding. The women's basketball team was outstanding. Our student radio station at the time was the flagship station for our baseball program, and we did a ton of college football. So we had behind the scenes a lot of uh, a lot of love in what we were doing because our sports teams were great, and we had amazing access at Indiana State. So that then gave me the confidence to go on the air each and every day. But at the same time, then you started to get some feedback from administrators or parents or players, people that were tuning in. You're like, wow, this really matters to some people. So with that, that got me to Lakewood. You're right. The, the, the tape, the resume, the interview processes eventually got me a chance to go to Lakewood, New Jersey, and be with the Blue Claw, single-A affiliate with the Philadelphia Phillies. My first couple of years were okay, and you were trying to feel out how you were going to balance being a broadcaster as being a person that works in minor league baseball where you wear a million different hats. And the last hat you put on that day was to be a broadcaster. And really, the emphasis of being a broadcaster in the minor leagues, especially at the lower level, wasn't necessarily the broadcast, but how you were going to help sell the beer that night. And how you were going to pump up the promotions. And are you promoting you know, the, the big fireworks show coming up on Friday? How are you doing all these other things that are ancillary behind the scenes? And oh, by the way, calling balls and strikes, telling good stories, and remembering to save the score. So uh, that was an incredible learning opportunity for me, both professionally and personally. One, to find out how you wanted to be on the air. Two, you know, get your sea legs a little bit on how you can work in an office from 9 to 5 and then do all the other stuff. Uh, that was really that was really a cool experience. So um, my final year, fortunately enough for me, was one one of the best teams I've ever covered. Two, uh, a lot of major league names were on that roster at the same time. It was an incredible learning experience, and it eventually got me to Buffalo. Awesome. Um, now talking about exciting moments uh, for you, you grew up being a Cubs fan. What was it like for you seeing Chicago win a few years ago, win their first world championship title in 108 years? Um, what was that childhood moment like for you now? You know, so it was. Fun. it's funny because where I grew up in northern Indiana, you got a heavy dose of Cubs baseball 
on TV and radio in the afternoon. And as a young kid, when you fall in love with the game, you can consume so much baseball at a young age. I don't know that I was a diehard fan. My grandmother and my grandpa were diehard Cubs fans. So um, we get off the school bus before helping out on the farm. like, And, you know, grandpa would be wrapping up lunch or whatever, and the Cubs would be on TV or radio. And one of my first summers working in high school, bailing A, I was so desperate for an outlet uh, to check out of my mindset from being in a hay mow. You know, it's hot, it's humid, it's hard work. I'm drenched with sweat. I wanted something. And I fell in love with baseball on the radio. So um, the Cubs were an automatic draw. And then my brother and I would fight over the remote later on that night to battle between watching the White Sox and then watching the Braves games because you could get the Braves anywhere on TBS. And the White Sox being in the Chicago TV market were always going to be available. And we'd battle over the game of the week, right? Whatever the national game was or ESPN game. So we were trying to consume not only the Cubs, but we were trying to consume all of baseball. And then uh, because of connections to the Blue Jays in 2016, I actually got a chance to go to game seven in Cleveland. And that was an incredible opportunity and just an incredible experience. So to watch it all unfold um, was a a complete wash of emotion. Um, It was exciting to be in the stadium between Cleveland and Chicago fans. Um, There was, there were a couple of groups of people that you could take note of immediately to our left were friends and family of the Cubs. Uh, in front of us was a father's son. The son had gotten a job in Denver, Colorado, and he told his dad at the beginning of that season, when the Cubs get to the World Series, I don't care when or where, we're going to meet and we're going to go to a game in the World Series. And lo and behold, uh, they got to game six. The kid took a flyer in Denver. And he said, Dad, I just bought us tickets to game seven in Cleveland. I, I can't imagine what this guy paid for those tickets on short notice. But him and his father hopped on an airplane, one from Denver, one from Chicago. They met in Cleveland that night. Um, There were a handful of kids that grew up in northern Chicago that were off to our right. Like all of these emotions and my own emotions with my grandpa and grandma and my aunt and uncle who are passionate Cubs fans. So to watch them win, um, you know, you were watching this euphoric moment happen with everybody around you, let alone the people then that you're connected to on a personal level. So, I mean, it was a really, really awesome experience and historic too. I mean, as a broadcaster, you live for those historic moments and you wonder or not if you would play them out this or that way. And um, I mean, that was a day drove from Buffalo uh, before the ball game and then drove back to Buffalo after the ball game. So, I mean, it was a crazy game in its own right. So you were just riding this wave of adrenaline all the way throughout. Yeah, and you know what's crazy about that is you're talking about the moments. It's it's definitely unique experiences. I know when the Jays were in the 2015 playoffs, it was the first time in forever since 93 that they had made playoffs. Um, I had season seats that year, so I I was able to get some pretty decent seats. Of course, up in the 500s, but I was row one. Uh, I always remember section 510, and it was Bautista. It ended up being Bautista's bat flip game in game five. And it was wild because when I was working at my retail uh, job that I was at, I literally said to my boss, it was like a 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock start. 
and I was supposed to work like a seven to three that day. I was like, yo, like I'm not coming in. Like I'm full strings. So like, let's get someone to cover because I am not missing this game. And luckily I didn't miss that game. Um, but it was also wild too, because a friend of mine, his dad uh, had the other ticket with me and he was on the fence on like, Oh, do I go? Do I not go? Kind of thing. I was like, yo, how do you not come? It's game five. And he's like, all right. And we live in Whitby. So it's Whitby to Toronto is about a 45 minute drive. So I was like, yo, like, just get down here. You, you won't regret it. So he's like, all right, fine. I'll come. And it's like the third inning. So I was like, dude, like, you're not going to get here in time. And I'm like watching the clock. I'm giving him a call. He's like, yo, where are you? Where are you? And it ends up being like the top of the seventh. And he's like, okay, I'm, I'm about 20 minutes out. And as we know in baseball, innings can be over in like five minutes or they can take an hour. And it was crazy. He got to his seat about three batters or I think maybe the start of the bottom or it was a couple batters just before Bautista ends up hitting that bat flip. And mm-hmm. I was like, what crazy moment this is just to have you there and like be able to make such a snap decision, right? Uh, it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I was one of those people too in that same game. They got a phone call early in the morning that said, hey, you've got ticket if you want to come to this game. So we were in Buffalo. We all rallied at the ballpark because I was working for the Bisons then. Hopped in the car, drove up, and turns out to be one of the more memorable postseason games ever. And I mean, I woke up that morning, whether whether or not I had an opportunity to go to that game, I really wasn't sure. But, uh, you know, it worked out. So it's, it's funny how... There's a lot of those stories. I've heard a lot of those stories along the line, especially with that game. Oh, for sure. There's probably a, you could write a novel on how many stories yeah. like going for that one. Let's talk about the Bisons, though. So back in uh, so in 2007, you ended up starting to work for the Bisons, um, who are now the affiliates of the Jays. But when you started there, they ended up they were officially or originally the AAA affiliate for Indiana, and then they moved to the Mets and then eventually the Jays. And you were there for all the transitional uh, aspects of that. What was it like for you to be able to kind of call games for guys like season after season where one, one season you're calling against them and then you're calling for them the next year and things like that. What was that whole experience like for you? You know, I learned pretty early on, even in Lakewood that, players, coaches, you're going to experience a lot of turnover. And you're going to experience not only turnover within a given roster, but your coaching staff and even your front office. Like, people are going to change around you. That's the nature of sport. So when it comes to the players and coaches on the field, automatically I gravitate to the people that I connect with, um, and you become fans of them if you hit it off. And you, you try to treat them as professionals, and understand their craft and what they're going through because literally every trade deadline, you know, a guy that could be the thorn in your side automatically becomes the powerhouse in the middle of an order just that quickly because of a trade that gets struck. So that was one some advice, but also something that I, I learned really early on is take value in the personal relationships that you kind of cultivate over the course of your career. Um, when Cleveland was in Buffalo, that was the end of a 14-year affiliation agreement. And I was there for the last two years of that in 2007, 2008. So I knew there would be more change. And I knew there would be more change within our relationships in the front office to the scouts that came through to the individuals that run player development to obviously then the players and coaches. So I was prepared for that. 
And again, you strike up these relationships with players and these connections and stories that you build, uh, whether it's the last two years with Cleveland, and that's a relationship, for example, with Tori Lovello, or um, now somebody that's scouting for the Chicago Cubs and Jason Cooper, who was a longtime tenured player through Buffalo, actually through two different affiliations, uh, and one of the greatest guys that I've ever met in the game. And, you know, because of how I feel, one, he treated me, but two, how I treated him, that makes me seeing him in a press box or sitting in the stands during batting practice an, an automatic icebreaker or an easy connection to say, hey, Coop, how you doing? You know, give me your read on what's happening, you know, with this player, that player, or other. And what, what other organizations are talking about, how the Blue Jays are playing right now, because he's an MLB scout. You know, so these are resources that out of nowhere kind of fall in your lap as your career kind of develops and moves on. And uh, as wild as that four-year experience was with the New York Mets, there were more relationships that come from it and learning experiences because of it. And then, obviously, we hit the lottery in 2012, that fall, with Paul Beeston and Alex Anthopoulos and a lot of the lieutenants under those two guys come down to Buffalo, and um, we signed a player development contract, Bisons, Blue Jays, moving on all the way to present day. But because of that, too, was my first interaction with Jerry Howarth and Mike Wilner in the broadcast booth in the fall of 2012 when, you know, a couple of emails and then um, an invitation to join them in the broadcast booth one night and just talk about Buffalo and what fans could expect from Buffalo as an affiliate. And we just kind of like moved forward with our relationship. And that's really where a lot of that started to foster. And then later on, did we know. Aaron Sanchez and Marcus Stroman would kind of spearhead that first Bison's roster in 2013. And that was kind of the, the launch into this affiliation between these two great franchises and, um, and, and, and really kind of tee up a great relationship between two cities. Yeah, it definitely does make a lot more sense to now because if, if Toronto needs a quick call, Buffalo's only a couple hours down the road and you can get a guy really quickly. Um, to come and join the locker room. It's a great luxury. You know, in 2000, what was it, 2012, 2011, Mike McCoy was back and forth between Las Vegas. And you're thinking about the time that it would happen to make a roster move from a guy that could be on the field during batting practice. He could injure himself during batting practice, and by the first pitch, you could have him from Buffalo to Toronto. Versus Mike McCoy having to be in Las Vegas or anywhere else in the Pacific Coast League and he would have to spend that time times two in a plane, let alone even get from city to city. So there are so many reasons regionally it makes sense. And obviously from a fan perspective, it opened a million doors for me personally and the relationships that we've got going on. But, um, but, it, but it just makes a lot of sense, obviously, for both sides. Now, let's talk about relationships and that leadership component that you mentioned. During your time with the Bisons, was there one person that you kind of looked to or chatted with a lot that was kind of like your quote-unquote mentor during your time with the Bisons in the broadcast booth that would help you with tips and tricks of uh, different aspects of it? Uh, you know, at that time, I was talking to anybody that would listen to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, especially early on. Uh, you know, locally, locally, there were great resources. So Mike Harrington from the Buffalo News had covered the Bisons and pretty much had that as his beat from the mid-80s 
especially from 1988 on. And he was a great historical uh, reference for me. Um, he was great in terms of how he covered the team, the great teams, and, and he was an encyclopedia with a lot of stuff. But hands down, hands down, the number one resource for me in terms of broadcast and enjoyment of being on the air and, and the quality of life was Duke McGuire. A Buffalo, New York native, um, a great dude, first and foremost, whether it's before the game or after the game or during the game. Um, Duke McGuire is is my guy. And, and you know, he's he was awesome. And, and he was great in terms of being a resource for me on how to see the game, how to interpret the game, and, and also, you know, broadcast and, and have uh, have a connection at a different level, both as somebody from Western New York, as a former player, and as somebody that cares about how the Bisons do. Yep. And they've seen the Bisons at their at their pinnacle, and they've seen them <laughs> most recently uh, struggle as they fight for a playoff chance. But, <clears throat> you know, excuse me, Duke, Duke wore it on his sleeve. You, you know, I mean, he was... He's passionate about the game. He loved to see the game being played the right way. And he wanted he wanted the best baseball on the field. And, and you know, when and, and that was also a really big education, you know, working with other former players. Not other even other players later on in my career, but working with former players, you understand like their mentality and what makes them tick. Now talking about mentality and learning different traits and, and tips about players and things like that, we actually just had a comment come up in the chat um, asking, how did you learn about the history of the Jays despite not growing up to be a fan of them? Oh, that's great. Um, well, I'll tell you this. Once again, going back to the encyclopedia that is just an arm's length away, I, yeah. I work almost every Blue Jays game on radio next to Mike Wilner, who who has an amazing ability to recall the finest detail of the most minute, meaningless game in Blue Jays' past. <laughs> so, uh, you know, he's somebody that has been invested in it from day one. Um, not only are you going to get Mike Wilder, who is right there, you've got Buck Martinez as well, who I'm great friends with. And, you know, he lives now 20 minutes away from me as well. Um, not only... <laughs> is he an incredible baseball mind, but he's been in the game for almost six decades. He's played for the Blue Jays. He's managed the Blue Jays. He's broadcast the Blue Jays. So I'm like in this Smithsonian of Blue Jays history. So if I ever have something of a question or need to ask something, whether it's historical or, hey, does this guy remind you of who, that, and the other? I've got automatically two guys to lean on. And then you can throw in the most recognizable voice in North American sports broadcasting, and that's Dan Schulman. So, um, you know, if I don't take a step back and say, Ben, shut up and move the hell out of the way and let these guys talk, and, you know, and just kind of sponge this information or, you know, pick up these little nuggets along the way, um, I'm only hurting myself. So those are just three incredible resources that I've got almost daily, honestly. Um, Buck and Mike are always around. Dan, obviously, is going to cover a lot of games as well, especially when we're in Toronto. So that is first and foremost. And that's a really good question, you know, on, on how you ingrain yourself. But remember, I've got now seven-plus years of Blue Jays history and in current Blue Jays chatter 
I've got a lot of relationships with the guys that came through Buffalo. So for me, in terms of one-on-one relationships or making them feel comfortable, it's really easy in terms to work the clubhouse uh, with the guys that are coming in and out right now. Yeah, I had a, I actually got the fortunate opportunity of chatting with Dan uh, a few episodes ago, and we chatted about Blue Jays baseball and, and the same kind of idea. And it's really cool to see how small, like how much of a small world it is when it comes to broadcasts. Uh, sorry, broadcasters, and like how much you can just feed, like do that feed off of each other, and and get the, all those details, and just become like a sponge to information. You know, it's how we do our job. Um, I talked about relationships early on and how you build them with players and there's constant change. Well, it is so easy for me to walk into the clubhouse of the New York Yankees and go up to Jay Happ and say hello again. Um, there's been a long history with me and Jay Happ along the way. Obviously, he was a Blue Jay my first year on the Blue Jays broadcast. But we go all the way back to like 2005. Oh, wow. 2005, 2006. So he was a young prospect just out of college then in with the Philadelphia Phillies at that time. But we had had these little connections all along the way. So you're looking for these familiar faces. You're looking for people within the fraternity. And if you have questions about the team you're about to broadcast or cover, go to the broadcasters. Go to the guys that watch them each and every day. So it's easy for me to walk in the booth next door and ask the Yankee broadcasters, hey, what are the main storylines today? Or go to the press conferences and pay attention to the people that are asking some of the hard questions along the way. And, and I make a really, I make it a really big point of my day and my prep work to attend the manager media sessions, whether it's in a clubhouse, whether it's in a dugout, whether it's in a press room, whatever time is scheduled for Aaron Boone or make up the manager. I don't know whoever it is. If it's 4.15 and it works into my schedule where it's not detracting from a Blue Jays talking point or media session with a Blue Jay or coach or player, uh, I'm going to be on the other side because I think that's the other half of our story. As, as passionate as we are about finding out the talking points from a Blue Jay perspective, I want to have those nuggets to make it a well-rounded broadcast where you're going to find out about what is happening and why this is important on the other side because it may, it may impact really – the larger part of the game and why a Blue Jay may lose or win, uh, given on that night. For sure. Um, yeah, it's it's just it's crazy how how there's so much information um, in baseball and in other sports as well that you can again just become a sponge to and get like gain from other broadcasters as well. Um, in 2018, you got to what everyone likes to call for minor league players the call to the show when you got hired to replace Jerry Howarth um, in the broadcast booth and become the voice of the Blue Jays uh, still currently to this day. What was that like for you, again, kind of from the aspect of going from the, the single A to, to Buffalo and then now to the Jays, just seeing, again, all that hard work. What was that moment like for you when you said, like, hey, uh, I'm, I'm going to go up and now replace Jerry Howarth and, um, and be that voice for the Jays? Well, I... I really didn't think of it as replacing Jerry Howard because you just, you just kind of take over for Jerry, you, you know, um, you don't replace him. Uh, and Jerry and I have had an incredible relationship and he's one of my nearest and dearest supporters. And he's become an, an incredible friend and supporter along the way. And that goes all the way back to 2012 when we first struck up our relationship and he was one of the influencers 
as you mentioned earlier too, like who are the guys that kind of influenced your career path and was so willing to offer constructive criticism. And Jerry Howarth was one of those guys and still is one of those people who will tune in on his drive back and forth from the coffee house or playing competitive bridge with friends or just tune in as a, as an avid baseball listener. And he'll say, Hey, I really enjoyed this story. Hey, I liked how you called this play. Hey, um, I uh, heard this, could you do it this way, that way, or the other? You know, so he is an incredible influence still in my career. Gary Cohen, Mario and Pimba, um, there are a number of, Tom McCarthy, a number of other people that influenced me along the way from a major league broadcast who had longevity as well in the broadcast booth that, that I knew going all the way back to 2004, my first year in baseball. Um, so again, going back now to 2018, where you get this, incredible phone call um and anybody that has had professional or personal goals and they get that tap on the shoulder um i i think you become numb because it takes a moment for it to set in and for me it took a minute to completely understand what in the world was going on and what was being relayed to me at that moment but at the at the same time it's incredibly humbling it's it's fulfilling. It's this overwhelming warmth that takes over your body because it is literally what I have strived to do since 2002, 2001, where I wanted to work in baseball. I wanted to work in professional baseball. And my God, if I could ever move this mountain out of the way, work in Major League Baseball, and that was an opportunity that came to me in the late stages of spring training in 2018 uh, when Dave Cadeau called me from Sportsnet. And, um, and man, it has been some incredible ride. But that, that moment made it all worthwhile. The, the long bus rides, the really crappy ballparks, the um, incredible workload and many hats that you had to wear along the way, and many nights where you wondered if anybody was listening. <laughs> yeah. To these broadcasts, um, but it was all kind of like polishing this apple and, and honing it on the craft, where you could come up with this 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 realization that your goal has finally been reached. And 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 even before the Blue Jays call, and I got a, got an opportunity to be part of an incredible team at Sportsnet. Like I work in sports; it's the playground of life. I'm telling you, and I've used that line often. It really is. I work in the playground of life. Um, there are many jobs that are way more important than what we do. But for me, I make sure that this is the most important job for me and the most important thing that I can bring to the people that want this either as an escape a passion or part of the process of their day or their summer, what have you. Um, I want to make sure it's number one because it is certainly number one in my life. Now talking about number one, um, you have, you've seen so many different games between the Bisons and the Jays. I know it's going to be a hard one to pick, but what would be your number one moment um, from your baseball career of like calling games, watching games, being just part of that moment? Oh my God. The number one game. Oh my God. I have, or just like even that number one moment. I mean, number, number one moment. I mean, I've called two no hitters, which is just mind blowing to me for, for a guy that's two plus four years into his major league career. Uh, James Paxton and Justin Verlander threw incredible games at Rogers Center. Um, 
you know, you've got the Grinch and catch, you've got multi-homer games, you had a number of debuts. Curtis Granderson gave me my first walk-off home run. Um, it's really hard. Kevin Pillar, when he steals all three bases and then eventually steals home against the Yankees, that was my first year too. Uh, had three homer games and walk-off home runs. You know, you know, so that was... Let's just say it's hard to pick a top one. It's really hard to pick. I don't know. I mean, it's it's really difficult to pick it. And I think that's good because that means, you know, you just haven't gone through the monotony of 162 or whatever, how many games you cover in a given season. You know, so these things that stick out are really important. Um, and take an take overall expect or, or look at things, too, where you look at, like, the pockets of time. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. in 2018 and that run that he had. Uh, Bo Bichette when he makes his major league debut. Um, there's another game that just sticks out. Bo going to L.A. Hollywood Bo. Um, with the flow rocking, Kershaw on the mound, and he hits two home runs, the first of which happened on the second pitch of the game in L.A. at Dodger Stadium. Um, you know, those, those are just a number of the highlights. I mean, my God, if we're fortunate enough to just scratch the surface in my two years – and I'm I just rattled off a dozen games. I mean, that's that's exciting for me. That's exciting as a Blue Jay fan, yeah, because the Blue Jays are all part of this, minus that Verlander and Paxton thing happening. But yeah, those are you know those are really awesome things to experience and be part of. And hopefully, it's a sign of what's to come and what the future is going to show between these guys showing up to the league. Yeah. Um, now, my last question for you is uh, you have a lot of uh, career advice. You've traveled a lot of kilometers over your, your career so far. Um, what kind of advice would you give someone that wants to get into broadcasting, wants to kind of get into that role of either being a play-by-play -play announcer or even just being a reporter at a professional sports field? What kind of direction would you want to send them in? More than anything, um, you have to cultivate relationships and you have to learn on the job. Uh, one of the buzzwords early in my career in college was experiential learning. And a lot of opportunity will fall into your lap because you're hanging around and you're reliable. But because of that and being around those venues or reporters or radio television stations, you've got to learn and you learn by doing. So be very willing to do anything and everything. Also, take a step outside your comfort zone. If you want to be the number one talk show host in the country, that's great. Well, start to hang out behind the scenes and figure out what makes those talk show hosts so incredible. Is it a producer? Is it the, the fact that they've lined up an interview guest days in advance or on a moment's notice because they're working their contacts? So soak in all this information and figure out how they're going about their business and then try to emulate the things that connect with you. You're not going to want to mimic or try to fake your way through being somebody else. But you can steal these little nuggets. I mean, you know, duplication is the greatest form of flattery, right? So Definitely. if you can pull these little nuggets from the people that really connect to you, and you think that is the way to go about your business, conduct yourself in that way. And hopefully things will work then in your favor. And you've got to network by doing it. And again, by being around and being active and being invested in what your 
wanting to do ultimately, but taking the necessary steps to get there. Those are going to be the most important people that you connect with because they're going to provide influences and the foundation to prop you up and then get you eventually to that later point. And um, as, as my good friend Jason Benetti said a long time ago, don't forget to push the elevator back down and to make sure that you're going to afford those opportunities to other people that are kind of, you know, cutting their teeth and trying to get into the business and, and feel their way out. This sports business and broadcasting, they have an incredible way of kind of weeding out the people that either can't do it or don't want to do it and then, or realize that they, they don't want to do it. Um, there is many people that I've crossed paths with in my life, too, that said, you know, the sports life isn't really for me. So they kind of bow out. Um, but you always have to send that elevator back down. So first and foremost, experiential learning. Just strap up those laces, get your boots on the ground, and, and dig in and do everything as possible. Words of wisdom from the great Ben Wagner. Thank you so much, sir, uh, for taking the time to chat. And hopefully we will be able to hear you on the radio again sooner rather than later. Uh, fingers crossed. <laughs> hey, fingers crossed. I really think baseball will happen eventually. I have no idea what the sample size will be, but um, I think baseball is looking at it from uh, an office standpoint and as a player standpoint with a lot of civic importance here. And that's really, really important for the greater good. But if it can happen, I really think baseball will happen. And, and if we're afforded the opportunity to be along for the ride, I'll definitely be there for you guys. Hey, worst case, we'll get you, Mike Wilner, and Jerry Howarth on PlayStation or Xbox. <laughs> then we'll, we'll do a live stream of the simulation that will be the show. <laughs> uh, it'll be a show. Uh, there may be a word before the show, but yeah, it'll be a show. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ben. And uh, yeah, we'll chat again soon. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks. Take care. All right.